Hey everyone and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Last Friday, there was a pretty rough update that went wrong by Microsoft when a Windows Defender attack surface reduction rule was applied and all shortcuts which were located in program data slash Microsoft slash Windows slash star menu slash programs uh, were deleted. And there was more information as well that was shared by the community. As it was happening, there were people reporting it was only Office applications then some reporting some applications were also failing to launch, and then others claiming it was affecting more shortcuts than just Office and affected desktop and taskbar shortcuts too. Microsoft reverted the rule, so luckily for US customers, they were saved from the pain, but European customers sure got affected by it. Microsoft and others in the community have since provided some mitigations to try to help customers recover the missing shortcuts, but as far as I could see, none of them are particularly successful and are easy to pull off. There's some like where they pull from the shadow copy to get the shortcut uh, files back. Um, There's others where uh, essentially running a repair of some applications, which isn't gonna cover all the shortcuts. So it's a real mess and rightfully so, people are pretty upset and can't understand how something like this could uh, get past testing. If you were affected by this, sorry, that sucks. It's really bad. The first patch Tuesday of the year has passed and there were 98 vulnerabilities patched by Microsoft with 11 of them classified as critical. In total, the rundown is 39 elevation and privilege vulnerabilities, 4 security feature bypass vulnerabilities, 33 remote code execution vulnerabilities, 10 information disclosure vulnerabilities, 10 denial of service vulnerabilities, and 2 spoofing vulnerabilities. Patch Tuesday fixes one zero-day vulnerability, uh, one actively exploited, and the other publicly disclosed. The actively exploited zero-day vulnerability fixed in the updates was CVE-2023-21674. Uh, which bleepcomputer.com reports is a Windows Advanced Local Procedure Call Elevation of Privilege Vulnerability. And Microsoft stated that this is a sandbox escape vulnerability that can lead to the elevation of privileges, and an attacker who successfully exploits this vulnerability could gain system privileges. This Patch Tuesday is also significant, as it is the final round of patches planned for Windows 7 and version 8.1. Now I say planned because sometimes they go back on that when there's something that's uh, very high criticality just to help customers out. But yeah, don't sleep on this. Obviously, if you're on end of life operating systems and those out of uh, extended support, you know, move, migrate. Now's the time. Other vendors also kind of followed suit and patched their own products, including Adobe, Cisco, Intel, Synology, and more. 
Google is one such vendor who also released their own patches with 17 vulnerabilities patched by them. Uh, fortunately, at least, there's no zero-day vulnerabilities in this round of patches by Google, and the vulnerabilities in question range from low in severity to high in severity, with six of the vulnerabilities out of the 17 being uh, classed as high in vulnerability. Of course, Google don't tend to share too much deep technical details on these vulnerabilities, so there's not much else to share other than, you know, patch. The Royal Mail in the UK was hit by ransomware last week with a severe service disruption leading to a halt on international packages being shipped and Royal Mail's click and drop website was experiencing payment issues regardless of any payment method being used be that credit card, debit card or PayPal or how many times the transaction was attempted. It was also reported by bleepycomputer.com that customers were unable to view their package tracking. The attack has left more than half a million parcels and letters stuck in limbo. It is believed the first report of an attack came via a mail center in Northern Ireland, where a ransom note started getting printed by a printer within that mail center. Royal Mail asked customers temporarily to stop submitting any export items into the network while they were working to resolve the issue. It is reported that this was carried out by a Russian gang using the LockBit ransomware. If your organization uses Siemens Cymatic S7 1500 series appliances, you better get your arson gear to get rid of them. They contain a vulnerability that can be exploited by an attacker to silently install malicious firmware on the devices and take full control of them. Ars Technica reports that vulnerabilities in these systems have been exploited all the way back to 2009 where there was an attack on Iran's Natanz uranium enrichment plant. The reason for increased expedience is that Siemens have stated they will not be producing a patch for the vulnerabilities. So if you have industrial Siemens machines, check the versions and if you have this particular series, get rid of them. Following up on a story from the last episode of the podcast, the chatter about Microsoft and OpenAI has intensified with suggestions that Microsoft may acquire a 49% stake in the company for a reported value of $10 billion, which is pretty good as previous reports put the company at a $29 billion evaluation. Um, $10 billion and they keep the majority stake within their company seems like a pretty good deal to me. Subsequently, Microsoft have also announced general availability of their Azure OpenAI service with expanded options including some of the other OpenAI products like Dolly 2, but also some other AI product integrations in there too like with Codex, and Microsoft have announced a version of ChatGPT will be coming soon to the service. Microsoft researchers announced a new text-to-speech AI model called Vali that can closely simulate a person's voice when given a three-second audio sample, which is not at all terrifying. Uh, once it learns a specific voice, Folly can synthesize audio of that person saying anything and do it in a way that attempts to preserve the speaker's emotional tone. Ars Technica reports its creators speculate that Volley could be used for high-quality text-to-speech applications, speech editing where a recording of a person could be edited and changed from a text transcript, and audio content creation when combined with other generative AI models like ChatGPT. 
Uh, trained with 60,000 hours worth of English speech recordings, it could deliver a speech in a zero-shot situation, which means without any prior examples or training in a specific context or situation. The tool is not currently available for public use, but it does throw up questions about safety, given it could feasibly be used to generate any text coming from anybody's voice. So maybe an audio-only type version of those deep fakes that have been around for a few years. As I said, just a little bit terrifying. Norton LifeLock customers have been receiving notifications that their password manager accounts may have been breached. Now, before we break into a panic and hysterics, it appears this breach was by credential stuffing. And bleepycomputer.com reports the firm detected an unusually large volume of failed login attempts on December 12th, indicating credential stuffing attacks where threat actors try out credentials in bulk. So taking maybe a set of credentials or passwords from other breaches and then trying those against the service. By December 22nd, the company says it completed its internal investigation, which revealed that the credential stuffing attacks had successfully compromised an undisclosed number of customer accounts. The company says it has reset Norton passwords on impacted accounts to prevent attackers from gaining access to them in the future, and also implemented additional measures to counter the malicious attempts. Norton LifeLock also advised their customers to enable two-factor authentication to protect their accounts and take up the offer for a credit monitoring service. Now, really, they need to be enforcing the use of two-factor authentication on something with such sensitive information in there, in my opinion. Uh, the company said to yet to disclose the exact number of people impacted by this incident. Um, so if you are affected, presumably your password has already been reset and hopefully you've been notified. Michael Nihas published a blog post where he compiled a lot of the different Windows 11 related articles from the year and it unfortunately paints a pretty grim picture of slow adoption for the operating system, which I'd also shared in the annual wrap-up show that I did uh, earlier in the month. Uh, there is a glimmer of hope, as it seems at least one outlet suggested it's time for enterprises to start to consider it, which, yeah, that's their opinion. <laughs> I don't know if everyone's going to be on board with that. Um, but I did talk a little bit about my own experience and an application compatibility issue that I ran into uh, particularly with Camtasia um, versions 2020, 2021, and 2022, and how I address that on my Windows 11 22H2. So if you're interested in that, if you're having problems with Camtasia on Windows 11, uh, check that out, and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 265, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com. Uh, some quick hit stories here, uh, but it said that Microsoft are to offer employees unlimited pay time off. Now, once again, this is a double-edged sword. As has been reported by many others in the past, it can result in organizations being able to lay off staff without paying owed holiday time. So beware all. And <laughs> I scripted this portion of the podcast over a week ago, I believe. And unfortunately, since then, there's also been some reports that Microsoft is expected to have pretty large layoffs. Now, I think this is speculation, although um, I've seen it reported in mainstream uh, news outlets, including RTE.ie, which is Ireland's national broadcaster. And it's expected that they're going to cut about 5% of their global workforce, uh, which could be around 11,000 roles. So pretty significant. I hope that's not true. 
Um, and like I said, I think this is just kind of speculation at this time. Um, others in the industry like Informatica also announced uh, layoffs recently as well. So again, a bad start to the year in tech. In a memo to employees, Shopify said it would do away with all previously scheduled recurring meetings involving three or more people and impose a two-week cooling off period before any of those meetings can be added back onto calendars. In a memo, a copy of which was provided to CNN, Shopify COO Kaz Nyetin also said the e-commerce company would reinstate meeting-free Wednesdays and limit large meetings with over 50 people to a six-hour window on Thursdays. So this is a pretty interesting approach. Personally, I think that's right on because so much of our days can be taken up by these meetings. And then the meetings happen so frequently that they become meetings about setting up other meetings, which I don't think is very productive. It's also stated by CNN that moving forward, Shopify is splitting internal communications between Slack and Workplace by Meta to be a super intentional about how employees are receiving and sharing different kinds of information. So basically trying to cut down on bloated, noisy, and distracting messages throughout the day. The company is also encouraging employees to leave large, distracting Slack groups themselves. In a step backwards, at least in my opinion, Disney have told staff they will be expected to return to work in the office four days a week with some line of BS about them being a creative company and that creativity thrives with in-person interactions. I believe former CEO Bob Iger just recently returned to the company. Uh, so I guess this is just like his mindset and um, I know it's kind of discriminatory, but it seems uh, from a demographic perspective, those who worked most of their career in an office are the ones who feel like, you know, being in an office is so important. Whereas a younger demographic, seems to see more benefits of working remotely. I guess at least it's somewhat hybrid in that it's four days a week and there will be at least one day a week where they're working remotely. But I'd also imagine this is going to drive more people away from Disney and find other employment. To wrap up the news this week, it has been made official by VMware that the two VMware Explore conferences for 2023 will be taking place uh, from August 21st to 24th in the Venetian Convention and Expo Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, for those in the U.S., and November 6th through 9th in the Fira Gran Via in Barcelona, Spain. So if you're interested in going to those, save those dates because that's when those conferences will take place. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, uh, recently, I meant to restart a VM in Azure that had patches pending, but I accidentally hit shutdown by mistake, which then initiated it shutting down and installing the patches. And that meant, you know, what the, what could I do really but wait for it to go into a state where I'm able to then start it up. But thanks to Control Up and Guy Leach's awesome script, I was able to uh, view the console view by running the script within control up and see the state that the VM was in. So I didn't really have to guess, you know, maybe how long this might take or just be wondering if the VM is like in a hung state and I really need to power it off. So I was able to just kind of get a, a safe feeling that it was actually doing what it's supposed to do. 
This week I saw a collection of powerful PowerShell scripts that enable you to easily integrate AI into your projects and take them to the next level. So for example, you could maybe interact directly with OpenAI's GPT uh, within just a few simple commands. And with the module, this is possible and you can use other artificial intelligence uh, programs via PowerShell using uh, this cool collection of scripts. Finally, the awesome Martin Turkelson uh, posted a blog, pretty lengthy one, that covers, I'd say, pretty much everything you want to know about Azure Bastion. So if you're looking at Azure Bastion for your uh, authentication within Azure, this could be a really great blog post to get you started or even just to refresh yourself. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.